0: With, it, with another reference about surrender in the concordance, when I started looking up in the history and stuff like that, it, it mentioned that surrender is mentioned only about two times in the Old Testament. It had to do with battles, losing battles, losing wars, where armies had to surrender to the prevailing other side, to the authorities. They had to lay down their arms. They had to give up. They had to become subjects of the other, the other side. They surrendered to it. But that is not what God was saying here. So I got in good old Google. And the dictionary in the Google said, surrender. Cease resistance to an opponent and submit to its authority. And I go, I don't like that. I don't like what it says. I don't like what it means. And it really didn't, didn't hit the heart. Okay, God, what are you trying to tell me here? So I went a little bit further. I said, I want something biblical. I want something that's, that's talking about you, Lord. And so I, I asked Google a biblical definition of surrender. And here's what it says. Accepting that the battle has been won, but not on your own terms or yourself. And you are willing, willingly giving your life over to the authority of the winning side. Uh Uh-oh. I want to read that again. Accepting that the battle has been won, but not on your own terms. So you lost. And you are willingly giving your life over to the authorities of the winning side. It's pretty hard to do. You lost the battle. You've lost what you were looking for. You lost what you were fighting for. You lost what you were hoping for. You got to lay everything down and you have to willingly go under the authority of the winning side. I can't imagine myself being in a war and I, and I, get, I get sort of captured and I got to surrender and me willingly say, oh, yeah, take me to the concentration camp. Willingly do whatever you want to do with me. Our self is in there. We're in there. Then it says it means taking a humble position and embracing. Wait, no. Let me get it right. Taking a humble position and embracing what is over and how you have it. How are we? So surrender. It, it just seems like it's a it's a resigning or a giving up. It's a pretty icky feeling. We don't like to surrender at all. We're our own people. We're not going to surrender. I was in the military, and we're taught, you don't surrender. You fight, you fight, you fight, you don't surrender. And here this word comes up, and I'm thinking to God, what are you really trying to tell me here? And I'm starting to get it. I think we're starting to get it. You know, that we're, we've lost what we were trying to fight for, what we thought was worth fighting for. And then we are also willingly coming under the authority of the the winner of that battle. So let's put it in with God. But what we are surrendering, resigning, and giving up is really ourself. We're not giving up a cause. We're not giving up a fighting for our nation. We're not giving up anything but ourself. That's where we get so. We're we're self. We're inside of ourselves. We're human. But we're, we're spirits. And so we've been taught living in this world, this sinful world, to think about yourself. Think about number one. This number one, not that number one. And so we have to give up ourself. This is what it's asking. It's telling us. There's a problem with that. You know, we have self-esteem. We have to give that up. We have to give up our selfishness. We have to give up our self-confidence. Hello. Our self-control. We battle that a lot, don't we? We have to give up our self-identity, who we are. Who God made us But our self-identity. Our self-help. We're always going to self-helps. Our self image. What do we look like? How do we carry ourselves? What do other people think of us? Our our image. And then our self concept. It says here also another biblical example of surrender. It says, he is received with open arms, lavished love, and adding a new life as a restored son. Jesus lived a life of continuous surrender to the Father. Walking with Christ means continually surrendered, trusting that the God who made your children has a plan for them and he loves them more than you. So God's asking us to surrender to him. That's what he meant when he said to me, surrender. It took me a while to get it, but it's starting to get inside of here. I've got to give up myself. I've got to surrender to him and to only him and let him guide me. Let him guide all of us. We cry out, we sing out, you have my heart, Lord. I'm yours. Do with me what you want, me, want to do with me. But are we really giving up that self? Are we really doing that? When you think about look, giving up all this self, we think that it's a bad thing. Ugh, I don't like that. I don't like it at all. That's not me. I'm me. I'm not giving this up. I gotta be me. God made me me. I'm this way. So this is this is who I am, and I'm not changing anything. I'm keeping myself in all reality. So what God is saying is surrender yourself to me. He can take it. I have nothing but good for you when you surrender yourself to me. Well, nothing but good. God wants all of you and he all, all he wants is you to surrender to him. He's a good God. He's a good authority. He's everything, and he has so much good for us if we're willing to surrender, and it's hard. I'm not there. I'm piece of work. <laughs> Ask my wife. But God wants to bless you. He's trying to get it to you, but yourself is in the way. He wants to prosper you. Guess what's in the way? Come on. Self, he wants to heal you, return you back to your original state, your natural state. He wants to heal you like he created you to be. He wants to deliver you. He wants to use your gifts, but our self keeps getting in the way. We cry out, Lord, use me. What gift do I have? And then he points it out to you, but our self gets right smack in the middle of it rather than laying that self down and letting that gift flow in us. To be bold enough to go do something. Lately, when I've been going out for my walks, Carol and I go out for a lot of walks. We've been doing it for years. And we just go for a walk. Somebody goes by, we say, hi. Good to see you. And we keep on going. Ever notice most people have dogs, too? Carol and I are about the only ones in our neighborhood that don't have dogs. But... A couple weeks ago, as we were walking in our in our neighborhood, has a little little business area, real quaint little area, and there's a tour bus in there from Chicago. And all these people are off the bus and they're walking around and looking in these store windows. And of all places, the plumbing store has big glass windows, and they got all these Christmas decorations that the flower shop down in the corner goes in and does for him. And there was this old lady, little old lady. I gotta be careful saying old, and And she was just the sweetest little thing. We just stopped and said, hi, how are you doing? And just, you know, we were going for a walk. Hi, how are you doing? And she's, oh, what a beautiful, wonderful little place this is. And so it stopped us in our track. And we stopped and started talking to her, and she's telling us that she she was from what? Germany, Germany, yeah. She's from Germany, lived in Chicago, and how much she loved the Wauwatosa little neighborhood. And the people were so friendly. And the stores were so quaint and so friendly, and the, all the owners were so good to her and everything. And she was just the sweetest little lady. And Lord said, "Pray for her." And I I've learned to be very obedient when that happens. And I says, "May I may I pray with you? May we may we pray with you?" And she says, "Rise, sure, sure, pray with me." So we just prayed. We I don't know what we prayed. We prayed. We didn't give her a salvation prayer. We didn't try to. To In a sense push anything on her. We just wanted to pray with her and maybe lift her up of whatever she's been going through and She was so thankful. There were tears actually running down her eyes and A simple little prayer out on the sidewalk people walking by the other people from the bus were walking by and you're sort of like waiting You know, okay, when are they gonna get done? And when, when we got done, she just thanked us so much and it, it meant the world to her and I gave her a little track that I carry and I said, here, you might want to read this. You know, and she says, oh, I will. She took it and looked at it and everything. And she says, I want to read this on the bus when we're going to the next place. And I said, thank you. So we went on. And I think it was the next day. Same day? Same day. We're walking. We're walking up farther. And here comes the mayor of Wauwatosa. And he's a friendly guy, and he'll stop and talk to you. We've never talked with him. In fact, Carol pointed him out. I really don't know who he is. And we stopped and started talking to him and, and how are you doing? What's going on? And we started, he started talking about Natchez he's a, a mayor. So he wants to talk about all the things that are going on. And I, we were talking and I said, mayor, I want to tell you, I says, I didn't vote for you. I didn't like what, what you were running on. Tell him, you know, why not? You know, tell him, I says, but what you've done in this city since you've been here, especially when we were having the trouble in the, in the city up on North Avenue, and people, people are boarding up their businesses and everything. And I says, for what you did, and you combated that, and you handled that situation quickly and forcefully, and took control of your city, I says, you got my vote next time. And he says, well, thank you. And that was, that was enough to lift his spirit up for that day. Now, he found, now he's got a, a vote for him that he didn't have before. So he's, he's doing something good. And I says, Mayor, may we, may we pray with you? He says, sure. So I said, may I put my hand on your shoulder? He says, yeah. So I put my hand on his shoulder and I just, I prayed. I didn't know. I had my eyes closed and everything. I prayed what the Lord was giving me. And we got all done. And he says, thank you very much. And I says, have a good day, Mayor. And as we were walking away, Carol says, did you see that? And I says, what? He says, he put his hand on her shoulder while we were praying. So he was into it. You know, so what I'm getting at is, is we're spiritual beings. We're not we're in this world, but we're not of it. But we got to get rid of ourself. We can't walk by people and just, yeah, yeah, it ain't my type. you know, Too short, too high, too low, too old, whatever it might be. So the other day, I was out walking again. And this guy named Steve was walking. I've seen him in the neighborhood a little bit. I just walk him by and I says, hi, so how are you doing? And that's, you're just planning on walking by. And all of a sudden he stopped and he says, well, I'm doing pretty good. I'm standing vertical. And that was my, my opening, to stop and talk with him. So we talked, and he told me his story, his life story and everything. And I said, Steve, may I pray with you? He says, sure. And everything. So I prayed according to, in a sense, what he was, was telling me about his life story. I was praying in for things to happen. And I also gave him a little track. I said, hey, take a look at this when you get a chance. I said, it's a pretty good, good little message there. You might like it. So I don't know what it's getting at with there, but I guess we got to let go of ourself and be more out, out there, not shy. And I got to say, I was, I was one not to, to go on and and talk with people. I'll say hi. I'm very friendly. My daughter always says, "You say hi to everybody. You start talking to everybody and that stuff." Well, why not? (laughs) You know, you know. God gave us a mouth. So, so what happens with all this is, only ourself is defeated when we surrender to God not us ourself that's defeated and we get to defeat that and what's going on in this world and all the stuff that is happening all the stuff that has happened in the last two years man what, we would have never ever thought anything like this was going on I was asking the Lord about that and this is what exactly what he told me he says it's already done it's already done. We're living in the done. We're not experiencing it. It's not manifested in front of it. But God has already done it. He's bringing in a new era. He's not bringing in a new movement, like the Pentecostal movement and some of the other, other movements and everything. He's not bringing in a movement to a, a church some obscure church and all this thing is going to explode. He says, what I'm doing now, it's a new era. It's already done. Everything's been in place. I've equipped all the people. I've picked out my people. I've formed an army. I've formed an army of the remnant. And when I hear that word remnant, I think, oh, just a small, small little thing, a small little gathering. The last... Well, what was that with Gideon? 3,000 people, and they got down to 300, that remnant. But God says, watch my remnant. I've got the generals. I'm the commander. I've got the generals. I've got the colonels. I've got the captains, and the lieutenants, and the enlisted people. It's all there. I says, where? He says, look on the hills. Look on top of the hills. Look into the hills. And see my remnant, it's all around if we look with our spiritual eyes. There are so many people in this world right now that are ready, and I really don't even know they're ready But because they've been steady. The people that put on the armor of God each and every day, God says, I can use that. The people that are on their knees praying each and every day, I can use that. He's one of mine. The people that are serving all people every day, God says, I can use that. That's my remnant. And a big shaking has been going on. God's been shaking. God's been sifting. God's God's been separating. Who's real real and who's not? Who's for me and who's against me? Who's just playing and who's not? God told Carol the other day, he says, I'm through playing. I'm done. I'm not playing. But God is saying, it's already done. He says, I've been working on this for a long, long time. But we're not realizing it. But he's saying the time has come it is now it can't be stopped it's set in motion wait and see what the lord will do in a second chron- chronicles no second 2nd corinthians 6 verses 1 and 2 it says for he says in an acceptable time i have heard you and in the day of salvation i have helped you behold now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. God says, this is it. It's time. Wow. And we let that sink in. He's already already made the move. He's already done it. We see what's going on in our political world, in all of our businesses. They've tried to shut us in, put masks on, on us to shut us up. I'm not, trying, I'm not going to get political here or anything like that, but he's confined us to our houses. We've gotten so used to wearing pajamas that it's hard to go outside without them on. My, neighbor, my tenant goes out with his red pajamas. I go, "Come on, man." You know <laughs> We're getting so comfortable because we, we don't want to be seen anymore. In a sense, we surrender to the wrong thing. But in, with God, when we surrender with Him, we get victory. We win. We just gave up ourselves. We got out of the way. We're not the stumbling block anymore. The victory is the Lord's. And what greater general or leader or authority could we have than the God that created the heavens and the earth and created us and gave us our first breath and he'll give us our, take our last breath. And he's given us everything that we have. What greater leader can we follow? What greater thing can we surrender to than that. We surrender to many things, but they're nothing compared to what God wants. And he's saying, I need you to surrender me. And he says, I know who it is. You've al- it's already done. You have surrendered. You might not feel like it. It, m- it might be different than what you feel, think, or see, but you've already surrendered, and I can use you. You're mine. Wait and see what the Lord has done the great and mighty things that he's going to do. I had a vision while, while this was going, while I was hearing and I heard the word, surrender is victory. We're not, we're not losing, we're, we're in total victory. And he gave me, he showed me, he says, look at what happened when World War II, World War I was over. The parades that went on, the ticker tape flying all over the place. People out in the street, happy and joyful. There's victory. Victory coming home, we're celebrating it. Like with wild abandon, such a great victory. And that is nothing compared to what God is going to do with us and the great victory that we are going to experience. This isn't going to be a silent thing. This isn't going to be a hidden thing. This isn't going to be something that's done in all some obscure corner. This is going to happen throughout the world. The world will see us in our victory. The world will see us having our parades. The world will see us dancing and praising God with joy. The world will see us with our parades and everything. We are going to have a, a monster thing. Get used to it. This isn't, this isn't just some twinkly vision that, that just passed through this great mind that I have. This is what's happening. This is what's going to happen. God is going to show the world who we are. God is going to show the world who he is. Satan thought that He won. He should have learned when he hung Jesus on the cross. But he's still back up to his nasty things. And now he thought he's going to beat us with a pandemic. He thought he's going to beat us by putting us into our houses. He thought he's going to beat us by fear. We have the righteousness of Christ living and abiding inside of us. There's no fear. What do we have to fear? Right. Nothing at all. Why do we want to hang on to these, these fleshly lives? We're spirits. We're going to return to the Father. Back in 2 Samuel 6.14, will give you an example of what's going to happen. It's the story of David. It's the story of David bringing the ark back into Jerusalem. When did he bring it back and why did he bring it back? Because he had victory. He won Jerusalem back from the Philistines. He kicked them out. They were of no effect to him anymore, and he wanted—he's a man after God's heart—and he wanted, at that time, the ark was where the Lord was, and he wanted it back in his city, David's city, Jerusalem. He said, "We got to go get that ark back. We got to get back back God into our city where we are right now, the Israelites." Let me read to you, Second Samuel, starting in. 2 Samuel 5, verse 19. It's a little bit long, but this is a great story. It says, So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. So David went to Baal, Perizim, and David Defeated them there, and he said, "The Lord has broken through my enemies before me, like a breakthrough of water." The important part is here. David went to the Lord and asked him, "Shall I go up? What do you want, Lord? How should I do it? I got mighty men, we're trained, but how do you want me to do it? I want you to guide us, Lord." And Lord uh, guided them. He's therefore he called the name of that place. Baal-perazim and he left their images there and David and his men carried them away the people then the Philistines went up once again and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim therefore David inquired of the Lord and said and the Lord said you shall not go up circle around behind them and come upon them in front of the mulberry trees and it shall be when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, then you shall advance quickly. I want to say something right now. We've got some wind going on up there. Why don't we imagine that noise that's up in the top of those trees is the armies of God up into the trees. He's trying to show us and he's trying to tell us, I'm here, don't worry about this. For then the Lord will go out, then, for then the Lord will go out Go out and strike you. And strike, okay. For then the Lord will go out before you to strike the camps of the Philistines. And David did. So as the Lord commanded him, and he drove back the Philistines from Geba as far as Gezer. Then David again gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000 of them, and David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bringing up from the Ark of, of God, whose name, whose name is called by the name the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. So they set up the Ark of God on a new cart, and he brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ohio, I'm going to say it that way, the sons of Aunt Abinadab drove the new cart And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was up on the hill, accompanying the ark of God. And Ohio went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments of firwood, on harps, on strings, on instruments, on the tambourines, on cisterns, and on the cymbals. They were worshiping, praising God, joyfully, out in front of everybody, not hiding, not ashamed. They want they want people to know we're going to get our God. We're going to go do this. <clears throat> and when they had come to Nakam's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. We know the story. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his heir. And he died there by the ark of God. You can't use the arm of flesh to handle the things of God. And David became angry because the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. And he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. The people were, went up to get the, the ark of God, but they were using their own methods. God had a way that he was supposed to be transported by the priests with poles. He had it all out for them. And David, in his enthusiasm, didn't do it the right way, and a man paid for it with his life. So then David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all of his household. Wow, this guy really, (laughs) all of a sudden, he's getting blessed like crazy because they put this, this ark inside of his house. Can you imagine that, being in that house and the glory of God is there in your house? doing such wonderful and great things, this guy was something else. You know, he, he's, I hope this never stops. I hope this never ends. But at the same time, he was being selfish. Self again. Now it was told King David, saying, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all the things belonging to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom. Almost there. In the city of David with gladness. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Then David, this is the king, this is the king of Israel, number one. He says, Then David, before the Lord with all his might, and David was. Da- be- okay, then David danced before the Lord. With all of his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of trumpets. They worshipped and they praised. God shows you here there's no big shots in worshipping and praising God. We're all his children. We don't have to be formal and stuffy and look who I am or even feel low. But God wants all of us to worship and he just showed it there. Shouting was a great, it was a great cry. With a great cry they did that. That's why it's important for us to worship and praise God with all of our might. I know we're, we're, we're not used to that. I know we're quiet, feel funny about dancing, feel funny about shouting. But look at some of the people that are here that are doing that. The joy that's in them You see it in their face? You see that in in what they're doing? God's saying, put yourself aside and worship me. Don't worry about those around you. Come up to the altars when we are praising and worshiping. Dance, shout, shout for joy for the great God that we have. That's what's happening in the world right now. We're getting ready to dance. We're getting ready to party. This isn't going to be quiet. This isn't gonna be in the backwoods, obscure place. It's gonna be out in the streets of all of our cities. Not only in this nation, but throughout this world. God's doing a quick thing. It's not gonna take logistics, setting up platforms, speakers, praise and worship bands, God's people are going to rush out into the city and worship and praise God with joy. And the world's going to see it and say, I want some of that. I want, that's missing in my life. How can they be so happy after everything that we've put them through? But we're always a resilient people and God always looks out for us. He's done it throughout. and go through all the stories in the Bible. His people are put down, but we're, they always come back Welcome, Holy Spirit. So, our surrender is a good thing. Almighty God, He's conquered us. He's literally conquered us. We've given it up already. God's taking over right now. All this is happening because we have surrendered to the Holy Spirit. As you just heard, we have these winds, we've had these winds for days. I looked at the weather this, this morning, and I was amazed at the large area of wind advisories heading from northern Texas all through the mid, Midwest, hundreds of miles all the way up into Canada. And there's a bullseye that's through the central part, the north central part of possible tornadoes and, and terrible damage. We've seen that happen in Kentucky and the other states. And we're afraid of that wind. We don't like it. Last thing I like is wind. Except for a loud, loud clash of lightning that's right next to me. But the Lord was showing me about this wind. He says, these winds are not a coincidence. Let's look at this spiritually. Let's not look at it in the physical, in what we see. But let's look at it from God's way. He says, this is no coincidence. This is me showing you it's already done. I've made a move. It's not being stopped. It has started already. You take these winds, they started from the southwest, and they're rolling right up through the central part of the United States. Great areas. God is showing me that that's where he's starting. That's his promised land. That's, this is where he is going to do his things. The Holy Spirit is blowing in the natural and the supernatural. So when we hear that wind, that's the Holy Spirit, spiritually. Just like the wind, you can't stop the Holy Spirit or a move from God. I know I'm repeating it, but God's already started it. Can't stop it. What, whatever is not solid, whatever is not firm, secure, fixed, will be blown away. That's us. Whatever we don't have solid or we're not fixed on the Lord, what we're hanging on to in the world, is going to get ripped out of our hands and blown away because we don't need it. When you look in the natural and you see the devastation and the disaster that has happened to these homes, God is showing plain as day. And we've, we are touched by the, the lives that were lost, the damage and the property that has been lost. But he's showing you, I'm removing everything that isn't solid and secure and planted on a strong foundation. Let me tell you, folks, this church here, Passion Church, Milwaukee, is on a firm foundation built by Pastor Ted and followed up with Pastor Jen with a great word of God, a powerful word. This is not going to be ripped away. Some churches might fall. Some churches may go by the wayside. Some churches might get blown over. This church on the hill Where the ark was, Obed, is gonna be here. It's solid no matter what happens because of the firm foundation for what it is built on, for what it is doing, we're just getting started. He's exposing weaknesses so we can get stronger. He's blowing across this nation and all the nations. Watch the weather. It's always an indicator. Watch the crops. Watch what the, w- the winds that are going to be coming throughout the rest of this world. I just feel it inside my spirit. He's doing it to show us. He's doing it to say, it's already started. We're going. He's clearing things up. He's removing what's not strong in us. He's been doing it. Man, we are good. We really are. We've been working on this in our homes, in our private lives, in our public lives. We're strong. We're so very, very strong. God says, I'm proud of you. I can use you. This is what I'm looking for. This is what I've been waiting for. This is what what is needed to be done. I've waited generations for this time. Let me tell you that we are, each and every one of us, we're in the right place at the right time. We are born for this time. We are born for this. We have an assignment that we, each one of us, can accomplish that God needs us to do. So if if we wonder, who am I? What's going on? We're here for this time. Our parents and the generations before us we're here for that time. He had assignments for them. This place, this time, us right now is what God needs and he wants. And he's going to use us. I prepared you. When I was sitting in the, my living room this morning, a street sweeper, I'm hearing this noise outside. And what is that? It almost sounds sound like an airplane flying real low. And I'm Mr. Snoopy. I sit out on the front porch all summer. I call myself the Mayor of Wells and i like to see what's going on and what's what's happening and the street sweeper is going by real slow and we have we've had leaf cleanup everybody in Wauwatosa they put their, their leaves out in the streets and then these things come along and and, and get them up and get them out of the way but there's always that debris still left they can't get everything up and here comes the street sweeper and i'm i'm not thinking too much of it i'm thinking cool now it's going to be really nice and clean And everything. So he turned around and came back past my house. (laughs) This is awesome. On the side of the street sweeper, big sign, biggest letters on the sign of the street sweeper said, Mega wind. (laughs) Come on. These are signs. How would you name a street sweeper mega wind? God's saying, The winds, I've got the winds blowing. And they're mega, they're ginormous, they're tremendous, they are clearing things up. I thought that was really good. But let's get used to this wind. We're gonna have a rough night tonight, and we're probably gonna see some damage tomorrow. And we, if we can, we gotta go help those people. But look at it with spiritual eyes and a spiritual heart. What God is doing. He's blowing, he's blowing everything out. He's making things that aren't of him. He's blowing them away in the spirit. What's going to happen when all this era comes in, when the great move of God comes on, and it's going to be so quick, like they say, a twinkling of an eye. We don't have to set up anything. It's going to happen because he's got his army ready. We're ready. We might not feel like it. We might go, do I get a uniform? Do I get a gun? You know, what do, we, do I get a sword? You know, can I fight with David? Whatever it may be. You know, we're, we're ready. But he says, no. He says, everything's going to look different. We're going to look different. When we come out of our houses, we're going to be the same people, but we're going to look different. And the world is going to see us being different. And they're going, that's done. That's June, but they look different. And they can't take your, their eyes off of you because we're... The Christ inside of us is coming on out. And we're gonna show it. We don't have to do anything, it's just gonna show it. He's using us to go through it. These are things that the Lord is showing me. Well, you know, we've been cooped up you know, for a reason. Devil's trying to keep us from getting out. Devil's trying to keep us from doing what God has for us. God says, I'm removing the pajamas. Thank God. Go through West Dallas. Nothing against you, Mike. Clothing you with holy garments. What we put on, even the stuff that's in our closets, when we put it on, it's going to radiate. It's going to be different. We're going to be trendsetters. We're going to be the fashion. This world is so used to... Fashion this, fashion that. They're making, turning things over and they're changing our fashions as fast as we possibly can. Lord says, watch what I do. I'll show you what fashion is all about. I really, really will. The world will see us cleaned up. The Lord showed me. He says, we think that we're all so fashionable. You walk around. I wore these on purpose. You walk around with blue jeans, with holes in your knees, When I was growing up, we were kind of embarrassed to have holes in our knees. Our our mothers would put patches on our knees, on our elbows, and here we are, showing off. The Lord says, this is the fashion that I have. When people see the holes in your knees and the tears that you have on them, they're gonna realize and see that you've been in a battle. You've been scarred up. You've been struck every so often. You've got some damage but you're okay, you're still walking, you still have your pants on. And when they see our knees, they're going to realize that those are worn through because we've been on our knees praying. Praying to the Lord, wearing our knees out because we're in such such mighty prayer for God. People will recognize us but we will look different. The Lord's been showing me today about this wind. And he's been giving me a prophetic vision and he's been giving me a prophetic word. And it's a it's a twofold word of what God is going to do. He's also given me a prophetic word for our First Nation, for our native Indians, the ones that were here first. And it has to do also about the wind. So I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to talk through me and tell us what he is doing in this world. And the Lord says, I have created this wind and don't be afraid of it. I've started it from the Southwest and I've run it through the deserts and I've sandblasted everything that is not of me. I'm running it through the valley, the central United States, the Midwest, up through the Bible Belt And I'm cleansing, and I'm cleaning. I'm moving, I'm destroying, which isn't of mine. Don't be afraid of my wind. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Listen to my wind and follow and see what I am doing. My wind is strong and is powerful. It is vast and it is wide, says the Lord. I'm doing a change, I'm making a change. Watch and see what I will be doing. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. The Lord says, I am strong and mighty and I am showing you my power. Do not be afraid of it. My power is strong. I can turn it on and I can turn it off. I can change directions. I can make it large and I can make it small. I can make it be a small, still breeze. Because I am God. And I am doing a thing in this nation. And I'm starting in this Midwest. And I'm bringing it up through the Mississippi Valley. And I'm touching all those areas that I have chosen. The eagles have flown and they've thrown their arrows down to the earth, to the places that I have chosen to lead my people. The eagle has flown and it has done its job. It has sent the arrows to the earth. Watch and see, listen, do not be afraid. Because as fast as the wind comes, that's as fast as I am coming. But it won't be over. It will settle. And when we come out and look, it's going to be a new world. It's not going to be a world of devastation, it's not going to be a world of ruin. It's going to be one of the brightest, sunniest, joyous days. When I come and finish my work and set the captives free, says the Lord, watch and see what I will do. Listen for the wind, don't be afraid. The Lord also says, for our First Nation, Lord says, I know the connection in this house. The Lord says, I'm proud that you've kept your faith. I'm proud that you hung in there as a First Nation with everything that has happened to you by man. And Lord says, I'm using you first what seems insignificant and buried under and tossed aside, I'm using you. You were the first nation and you will be the first in the movement. Starting in the Southwest with the Navajo and the Apache Indian tribes. I sent my missionaries there years ago. They've been working on you. I've been waiting for the generations that are set and ready for me. Not being distracted by other things. Not being distracted by what has been done to them. He says, I'm taking this nation and removing their self and instilling them in them the Holy Spirit. I'm starting from the Southwest. And there's gonna be a great movement of God coming out of that area and sweeping up just like these winds, up into all the other tribes of this nation. I'm coming into Hayward. My arrow has been planted there. The hearts of the people have turned towards me. I've had to wait for a generation just like the Israelites, to get out of the way. I've had to wait for them to where I have a generation that's willing to seek my face and seek my ways and put me first, to put me first and not false idols. I'm a jealous God and now you're ready to receive me. You are ready to follow me, thus says the Lord. Hallelujah. The Lord says, you've been put onto ground and land that no one wants. And man has laughed at you and thought that he had you over a barrel. This is the work of the devil, says the Lord. And I've known it all the time. I've watched you and I've been with you. And what I'm going to do with you is take the land that you have been put on. And Lord says, know this, that every foot, every place that your sole of your foot has walked on is my land. And the world will soon find out the fertile ground that is under what you are walking on. You will see agriculture like never before. People of this world will say, that's not supposed to grow there. The people of this world will say, wow, I didn't know that was there. We wouldn't have given them that land. But you've persevered and you've stuck with it. The Lord says, you are my nation that has the rhythm of the earth. You are my nation that knows how to take care of it and what to do with it. And I'm going to give you seed and I'm going to give you fertile ground that will grow things that we've never ever seen before. Healthy, whole, strong. Crops will grow and we'll be astonished at what God is doing for you. I'm giving you imaginations and wisdom which knows the truth and how to apply it to all situations. To further this world, the things that are coming out of the Indian nation are going to be astonishing, and they are going to be leading this world for Jesus. Thus says the Lord, hallelujah, hallelujah. The Lord says, I've chosen this house. We hear about portals. But he says, I've chosen this house, and I saw that A great Indian chief came into the city with a spear and he threw it right in the center of this building. And he says, I declare war. I declare war on those that are not for God. We are warriors. We have the first nation leading us out of this place. And we are so blessed for it. And Lord says, wait and see what I'm going to do for you. What you thought was dead is so alive. What you thought couldn't be will be. What you thought was the end is just the beginning, says the Lord. I love you. And you love me and I'm going to do great things out of this place. We are going to turn the world upside down in this place because our hearts are surrendered to the Lord and we are blessed to be part of the first nation because it's all coming from there, says the Lord. Hallelujah. Well. Did we get anything out of this? I know it's kind of heavy, kind of, but it's direct. This is who we are. Rejoice and be glad. Get ready for this. Don't be surprised. Really, don't be surprised. Lord says, Mike, your eyes are healed right now. He says, I'm giving you the eyes that you were naturally born with. I'm giving you back to your original state. Says, the Lord. I don't know. So, with all that, it comes time for the tithe. And sometimes we drop our head and we go, oh man, here we go, the tithe. We heard every, every message, we've heard every brought from every different angle, every verse, everything. But the Lord says, My tithe is mine, I'm not fooling around. This is mine. This is the law. This is, this is the Lord. This is mine. He says, if your life is turned upside down and you can't make ends meet and everything's falling apart, it's because of the tithe. You haven't been giving it to me. I'm not trying to be mean or anything like that. I'm not trying to be coming down on anybody. But we have to look, look and search ourselves. The tithe is the Lord's. There's no going around it. He wants it because it is his. He gave it to us. He gave us our breath. He gave us our money. He gave us our jobs. Everything that we have in this world is his. When we see a person pass away on on their bed, what do they have? Nothing. All the stuff that they gained, all the stuff that they worked on, all the stuff that they accumulated, they left it. God says, the tithe is mine. I'm serious. I want it. Like Carol says, God says, I'm not fooling around. If you're having difficulty, check yourself out. What are you doing with the tithe? I want to tell you a story here that I, I saw. It's really good. It talks about the tithe and the power of the tithe. You know, we think... Ah, okay, we'll tip God. I'm being generous today. I felt that way in my time. But God says, I'm not fooling around. I'm not fooling around because I want to bless you. I'm not fooling around because I want to give you something. I have it here. I want to give it to you. But the tithe is holding you up. Yourself is getting in the way. Your self-greed, your self-holding on is getting in the way. I have things for you. Listen to this. He wants to bless us. So we can look at that as we do the tithe. Not that he's asking us for our money and asking us for sacrifice and asking for things that we don't know how we're going to make it through the next week. He doesn't, he doesn't want that. He wants to bless us. He wants to bless us so much. Just like we surrendered. We surrender to the Lord. He's won this battle. We surrender a tithe along with it tell you the story. It says, this is how one man learned that even fearful circumstances can't break God's promise made to those who tithe. At the age of 14, Alexander H. Kerr was converted under the ministry of American evangelist Dwight L. Moody and joined the Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. In 1902, Mr. Kerr read a book entitled "'Judah's Scepter and Joseph's Birthright' by Bishop Allen. In it, Bishop Allen referred to the vow Jacob made in Genesis 28, 22, which says, "'Of all that you give me, I will surely give a tithe to you.'" The scriptures recorded that 20 years later, Jacob returned to his home with servants and cattle in great abundance, he had become one of the richest men in the East as a result of keeping his covenant of tithing with the Lord. We have story after story if we want to look into it. People that have so much, look at that, their tithing. With some doubts, even with sincere desire, to see whether the Bible is true and whether God's promises are intended for the people of today, on June 1st, 1902, Mr. Kerr made a special covenant to set aside the tithe, or 10% of his income, for the work of the Lord. That's what the tithe is, it's for the work of the Lord. At that time, he had a mortgage on his house. He owed many obligations and was burdened with, with his cares and his worries, especially of financial nature. However, he was determined to prove God as Jacob had done he was challenged by these scriptures in Proverbs 3, 9 through 10, and Leviticus twenty seven thirty through 32. Genesis 13, verse 2, and 14, verse 20. And particularly Malachi 3, 7. We repeat this all the time during our tithes and offerings. Mr. Kerr often remarked that if modern day skeptics wanted proof that there is a God, that the Bible is his holy word and that his promises are true and that they are needed to do. And all they need to do is tithe for one year and God would prove them without a doubt that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I put this challenge out to you. Try God for a year. Give it an honest effort. When it's tough, push it through and watch what God will do for you. I've experienced it in my life. Within three months of beginning the tithe, unexpected and unforeseen blessings came to Mr. Kerr. It seemed that God had opened his eyes to behold his love, to behold his love and his faithfulness to his promises, especially in regards to tithing. Jesus said in Matthew 9.29, According to your faith, be it unto you. That same year, Mr. Kerr, with very special very little capital, but with a strong faith in God's tithing promises, organized the first, the firm known as Kerr Glass Manufacturing Company. It became one of the largest firms selling fruit jars in the United States. How many of us have had the Kerr jar in our hands? At the same time, or at the time of San Francisco earthquake, his fruit jars were being manufactured in that California city. Mr. Kerr had put practically every cent that he had into the fruit jar enterprise, and then came the earthquake. His friend, friends came to him and said, "Kerr, you are a ruined man." And he replied, "I don't believe it. If I'm if I am, then the Bible is not true. There's some faith." Huh? I know God will not go back on his promises. He wired to San Francisco and received the following reply. Your factory is in the heart of the fire and undoubtedly destroyed. The heat was so intense, we will be unable to find out anything for some days. Malachi 3.11 says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. What a time of testing this was. But Mr. Kerr's faith in the Lord never wavered. He believed Malachi 311 and stood on this promise unmoved. About a week after the earthquake and fire, a second telegram arrived saying, everything for a mile and a half on all sides of the factory are burned. But your factory is miraculously saved. God's word cannot return unto him void, as in Isaiah 55. Mr. Kerr immediately boarded a train for San Francisco. The factory was a two-story wooden building containing the huge tanks where the glass was melted. The tanks were kept at a fierce 2,500 degrees, and oil was used for fuel. The building was probably the most flammable in, in San Francisco. The fire had raged on all sides of the factory, creeping up to the wooden fence, surrounding the building, and even scorching it. Then the flames and the fire leaped around and over and beyond the building, burning everything in its path. However, not even the wooden fence was burned, nor the building, and not a single glass jar was cracked by the earthquake or fire." (laughs) This was undoubtedly a display of God's divine power in protecting this man. He held on to his faith that God's promises made to those who tithe would never be broken by any circumstance. Get this in our hearts. In 1912, Mr. Kerr wrote his first leaflet on the subject of tithing, entitled God's Cure for Poverty. This was followed by another tract entitled God's Loving Money Rule for Your Financial Prosperity. Every case of fruit jars that left the factory contained one of these leaflets. Three weeks before his death, he addressed the members of the First Baptist Church of Riverside, California, on the blessings and riches of tithing, tithing possess, possessions, income, and increase. Every business in which he had an investment tithed. His returns were so great that he created a tithing fund and had it incorporated. His tithing gifts went around the world for he deeply was interested in the distribution of New Testaments and the gospel literature. He rose from poverty to become a millionaire by believing that God would honor his promises and pour out his blessings upon those who accurately and carefully tithe or set aside one-tenth for their possessions, their salary, or the income for the Lord's work. Do you have a financial fear? Are you afraid to give? I challenge you, like Mr. Kerr. Let the Lord give you a release from the fear of financial failure. Put God to the test and see for yourself the supernatural power of tithing. I put that out there, give him a year. Can you imagine what happens in this place if we are faithful to our tithe, no more struggles and we won't even miss it? I know another story of a man that, I'll just brief, a man that he was a businessman and people from his church were coming on in there And he would cut 10%, or he would charge them an extra 10%. They didn't even know it. And he kept it, and he put it into the church in their names. And in a year's time, the building was paid for. Vans were paid for, everything. And the people didn't even realize that they they missed it. So he was showing them the importance of tithe. I'm not going to press this anymore, except I challenge you get serious with God. Great things are happening quickly and fast in the blink of an eye, and we're part of it. None of us are going to be left. We're part of it. God needs us. Amen.